0: Welcome to another PI World podcast. This is an audio only version offered as another way to enjoy our great content. A full video version can be seen on piworld.co.uk where you can find many more videos of interest to investors.
1: Thank you very much for letting us present and good afternoon to everybody. Um, We're going to do a presentation of about 35 minutes uh, hopefully and We're going to start off just with a recap as to where we are and actually what we're trying to achieve. We started as a cash shell in December 2006, and we've now grown the business to, we believe, we're the third largest in revenue terms in the United Kingdom in terms of automotive retail. We think we've got a very strong strategic position, capable of delivering and delivering scale benefits, particularly in the areas of IT, marketing, and the alignment to manufacturer partners, where we've got dedicated franchise management, which we think adds benefits. Our overall management is very stable, and I think that's how we've been able to grow the business. We operate in sales and after sales, and that really helps us try and capture the lifecycle spend on the vehicle by customers and to roll vehicles from a new vehicle to a used vehicle to a used vehicle again, which I think is literally paying dividends. We have a real strong focus on customer service with above average customer service levels in the sector. On cost, clearly we're in a strange period in terms of cost escalation, but we're finding that our in-house systems and software development, we've got 54 software developers in-house, is helping us to make better decisions through use of data, but also to remove costs of third-party systems and to make our business better. Uh, So we're taking a lot of systems out by developing our own, which is working very, very well. Finally, in terms of maximizing returns, we have a large property portfolio, a large business portfolio. And we have to have a vigorous and disciplined capital allocation process in terms of identifying growth that actually delivers value and also things that don't work, and assets and businesses that don't generate a shareholder value. And you'll see us exiting those or realizing one. You'll see that during the course of this presentation. If we move to a summary of where we are, we clearly delivered a significant growth scale up in the period with the health and acquisition getting us to 189 outlets and a greater parity between volume and premium in franchise mix. We had 4 billion revenues for the first time and the profitability of 39.3 million was higher than forecast at the start. We have numerous upgrades clearly down on last year where we had exceptional market conditions in terms of used cars, but we were pleased to deliver this. And this number is without substantial contribution from either the Helston business or the startups during the course of the year. We've always had a very strong balance sheet. We've got a net tangible asset per share of 65 pence. We were exceedingly cash generative, record free cash flow, 54.3 million, which allowed us actually to uh, beat our cash targets and reduce net debt. So despite spending one hundred and fifteen million on Helston in December, we've actually come out with a 75 million net debt number, including used car stocking loans. A lot of our competitors ignore used car stocking loans and net debt. We certainly don't. Uh, we have a very conservative balance sheet, which certainly helps us. The results just don't happen. We try and combine operational excellence with capital allocation. And you can see bottom right that 83% of colleagues think VirtuOmer is a great place to work, and they deliver well above average customer experiences. So you can see our used car net promoter score is 86.3% which we think is sector leading. I'm now gonna pass to Karen for a summary of our financial performance.
2: So I'll start on slide six, which sets out the historic performance of the group over the last five years. As Robert's already said, group revenue exceeded 4 billion for the first time. That's a growth of about 11% on last year. About half of that growth came out of the core group and was largely the result of rising vehicle prices. And the remaining growth actually arose from our acquisitions. Adjusted PBT is clearly a reduction on the historic result achieved last year, but it also remains above the level of the last three years. We saw continued strong free cash flow generation, as Robert has mentioned, a record for the group, and our tangible net assets of £224 million are underpinned by our substantial freehold and leasehold property portfolio of over £300 million. Pounds. If we turn over to slide seven, this is where I've summarised the income statement, you'll see that gross margins have reduced year on year. And whilst gross profit per unit on new and used vehicles remain above historic norms, they are slightly lower than the levels we enjoyed last year. Vehicle prices in the meantime have remained high and this obviously has a dampening effect on percentage margins from vehicle sales. We've also seen reduced after sales margins because of technician salary increases. Operating expenses have clearly been impacted by acquisitions, pay rises, higher energy costs and investment in digitalization and I'll cover that in more granularity shortly. Finance charges have increased because of rising interest rates, increased level of borrowing following our substantial Helston acquisition and an increase in manufacturer vehicle stocking charges as new vehicle supply is eased the pipeline of funded vehicles has extended out. We turn over to the next page. This shows the profits bridge where we've seen growth in both our new and retail fleet and commercial sales that generated gross profit in those channels, both as a result of higher volumes and those high margins. As we expected, used vehicle gross profit declined from those exceptional highs of last year. All of the group's core after-sales channels saw a year-on-year improvement in gross profit generation, and I'm about to go on to cost where you can see the impact of the growth in cost is very clearly on the profits bridge. So slide nine shows the further detail on total underlying operating expenses. And the group has always had a really strong focus on cost control. We have initiatives such as War on Waste, which involves colleagues at all levels of the business. We publish leagues, we have competitions. We communicate through regular team briefs and checklists. And we also have posters up in all of our group buildings focusing on this initiative. So to give you an example, this application of disciplines in this programme actually helped us to deliver a 25% saving on gas usage. I can't claim all the credit for that, clearly the warmer weather has helped us there, but also we've delivered a nearly 6% reduction in energy consumption and this is vital obviously given the rise in energy costs. We're not immune to the impact of inflation and energy cost rises and national minimum wage, but we remain focused on improving process efficiency and the use of data to ensure all of our spend is optimised. And um, despite this, I don't like rising costs, but the core groups saw costs overall rise 7.7% over the year, uh, clearly below the headline rate of inflation. If we look at our specific detail on costs, clearly the biggest single cost of the group is salary costs. Those rose 7% in the core group, and that was driven by reduced vacancy levels. Aided by action, we took on pay, as well as our investment in central functions, such as our concierge system, central attention and digital development. Energy and other costs have clearly risen. Uh, We flagged uh, the interim, the group ended our fixed price energy contract in September 22. And obviously we executed on our energy strategy, including solar, which Robert will cover shortly. Other costs have also increased due to really the impact of inflation and the return to more normal activity levels as restrictions continue to ease post-COVID. Very briefly on slide 10 is the group's strong balance sheet. Intangible assets grew largely as a result of the Helston acquisition. The headline payment in respect of goodwill for that acquisition when we announced it was £28.6 The finalised goodwill is actually £5.2 million lower than this. And that is because cash profits from the 1st of September to the date of acquisition accrued to us and so reduced goodwill. The group's pension scheme remains in surplus and is fully funded under the actuarial basis and requires no cash contributions from the company, and that has been the situation for quite some years now. I'll come back to the group's property portfolio and what we do to actively manage that, but that does help underpin our tangible net assets per share of 65.3 pence. Inventory levels have increased year on year, largely as a result of acquisitions, as we maintain tight control of our used vehicle inventory levels in the core group. And you can see here on this slide that we saw a unit decline of just over 2% and lower cost per unit as the group moved to retailing older vehicles. Turning over to slide 11, this summarises the cash flows of the group, which were clearly substantial and benefited from a reduction in working capital. Perversely, this actually arose from increased supply of new vehicles, where the increased pipeline saw funded consignment stock increase, and that created a cash flow advantage to us of about 20-odd million pounds. And actually, if you remember, the opposite was true of last year, where we saw a significant VAT outflow as stock levels were lower. Free cash flow of 54.3 million was generated, and then we allocated that cash that we generated in both acquisitions on capital expenditure for the expansion of the group and also £11.9 million has been returned to shareholders in the form of dividends or share buybacks, whilst other movements on the group shares, including purchases into our Employee Benefit Trust, absorbed a further £1.4 million of cash. We've renegotiated our debt facilities during the year to help us to buy the Helston businesses, including extending our involving credit facility out and adding a third bank and also taking another 20-year mortgage from BMW Financial Services in order to fund that acquisition. If I turn over to slide 12, this illustrates the capital allocation of the group. And we think that we've got the asset backing, gearing, free cash flow generation to ensure that we can meet all elements of our capital allocation. So we can both grow and reinvest in operations, such as the acquisition of Helston, the acquisition of wiper blades completed in the year, But also invest in our portfolio to make sure both we have high quality assets, but also to augment the business in terms of additional sales outlets, our multi franchising activity, for example, and the new site for Toyota and Air, to give you an example of next year. We'll also anticipate we'll spend about five million pounds in FY24 on green investments, such as solar in delivery of our energy strategy, LED lighting and in EV charging infrastructure. in terms of return to shareholders on the other side of our capital allocation we've clearly increased the final dividend by some 25 percent to 2.15 pence per share up from 1.7. that's in line with our strategy and is covered four times by adjusted EPS. We've also spent nearly six million pounds on the repurchase of our own shares in the financial year and you will have seen today we announced we hold the authority for a further three million repurchase which we will intend to deploy in the coming months. My final slide, which is slide 13, gives some examples of the group's work to maximise its returns from its property assets. And you can see before and after images of our multi-franchising activity in Dunfermline, and we proactively manage our portfolio. We prioritise pruning decisions, and there's an example given on this slide of our standalone accident repair centre in Newcastle, which had not been generating an appropriate return. We actually sold the business in April, trade in assets and we found a buyer for the long leasehold property so we expect actually that business will deliver us a cash inflow of about 1.6 million in FY24. This is one in a series of recycling surplus properties in the group we've actually between FY19 and 22 generated 6.2 million of cash and 1.2 million of disposal profits over that period and actually including that Newcastle property I've just described we expect to see surplus properties disposed of to give us a cash inflow of around £9.5 million over the next 12 months. And one of those properties includes the second example on this slide, which is land adjacent to our Glasgow Nissan dealership, where we've just been granted planning for a residential development, subject to certain conditions. So expect proceeds of about £5.5 million. To be realised in FY24. I'll pass back to Robert now for an update on operational performance and strategy execution.
1: Thank you, Karen. If we take vehicle sales, this slide deals with new and used vehicle sales. If we take new vehicles, historically, UK had a new car market of about 2.3 to 2.6 million vehicles. And post-pandemic, we've been batting at about 1.6. The SMMT have just increased their forecast to 1.83, which is good and we'll see more volume. But clearly, it's substantially less than where the industry was some while ago. During the pandemic and immediate post-pandemic period, the retail market was prioritised and we're now seeing manufacturers with more production pushing more volume into motability and fleet. Motability is a particularly strong sector at the moment. You can see the strong like for likes there. And uh, we are indeed uh, Motability's largest partner in the UK with 34,000 vehicles on the fleet. And it should always be remembered that every Motability vehicle we sell, it comes back for service for three years paid for effectively by the government. You can see here very strong outperformance in the 12 months on Motability, fleet and agency and new commercial vans, double digit growth, 20% uplift on the market in Motability. Retail slightly softer due to mix issues, but overall, a good performance in terms of new vehicles. Margins in new vehicles, as you can see on the right-hand side, have hit record highs, and that's due to the balance between demand and supply that we've seen post-pandemic and hopefully will continue, and that has driven higher group gross profits on a like-for-like basis. You can see bottom left, we are gaining market share overall, slight increase in new retail, good increase in motorbilities, nearly 6%, and we do over 6% of the UK van market which is something that is sometimes overlooked. If we turn to used cars, this is a story of supply constraints. There are 2 million missing zero to three-year-old cars due to the pandemic and the subsequent production issues, and that's feeding into tightness into used cars. Demand is actually resilient and robust. In my view, it's the supply that is causing the volume issues, and we are increasingly selling retail more of our older cars that we bring in in part exchange you can see that there was a 14% decline in vehicles that went to trade or to auctions as we recycle more of those cars back into retail. We have got a number of initiatives to improve used vehicle supply. For example, we've launched an internal auction where dealerships can auction out to other group dealerships cars that they don't want to retail but meet our retail uh, criteria across the group. We've also got some software, which I'll talk about later, which we think will, again, enhance our margin Uh, uh, we get on used cars and also uh, generate better stock term. So margins, as you can see, are off the peak of last year when clearly the supply constraints led to rapid inflation. But they are substantially ahead of the pre-pandemic levels. And we certainly see that continuing. You can see that inflation at the bottom right, where the average price of a vehicle in used cars that we're selling is 2000 higher than it was 12 months ago. We take after sales. Clearly, bedrock of our profitability and that life cycle value of selling a car and retaining it for after sales is of vital importance to us. You can see that in all channels we grew gross profit on a like for like basis quite substantially in each after sales channel. The revenue increase in service was due to the success we had in recruiting more and retaining technicians. That did have an impact on pay, and because technicians' pay goes through cost of sales gross margins were slightly diluted, but clearly we grew gross profit in that channel. It still remains a battleground, recruitment of technicians, still more work to do there. We are constrained by uh, technician resource rather than market demand. We do have a very strong customer database. Uh, We have 167,000 people who've either prepaid for their service or have a monthly service plan. We've got our 34,000 Motability customers and excellent relationships with lease codes and contract high companies. So we are, we are strong in the after-sales sector. We turn to parts. Parts' biggest customer is the service department. So growth in service means growth in parts. But we've also taken, again, market share in trade supply in parts, which has augmented a really strong growth of profitability. We have a substantial accident repair and smart repair business. We've just taken two other body shops as part of the Helston deal. I'll talk about smart repair a little bit later on, but these are good Profit generators and high returns for the group. And we're very, very pleased with how these businesses are developing. We look in the service department a little bit more detail. There's some specific things I just wanted to highlight. Clearly, 2 million missing cars in the zero to three year park. Our average age of a car visiting our workshop now is 4.7 years, and that's going out. And I just wanted to show that the average invoice value per customer visit actually increases with the age of cars. So if the vehicle park ages, actually our revenue should increase wear and tear and requirements. You can see it tails off slightly after five years, but we're absolutely in that sweet pot. There's a nice tailwind here due to the aging of the vehicle park. We also sell not only service labor parts, but also tires. We've put a lot of effort in over the last four years to grow our tire sales. You can see the success from 7.9 million to 14.6 million. And we believe actually the tire market is relatively depressed at the moment. So we've taken share and we aim to take more share. This is critical. Uh, Electric vehicles uh, require more frequent change of tyres, and we don't want our customers coming to us for service and then going to one of our competitors for tyres on the presumption that we're not competitive when indeed we are. The other thing that affects average invoice value is is vans. Vans have a higher invoice value than cars. And vans have actually increased the percentage of the UK vehicle park from 10.6% in 2017 to 12% in 2022. We are a big player in vans, and we're good at retaining them into service. So in terms of strategic update, those that have followed the group for a while will be familiar with this slide. We have four key strategies, growth, digitalization. Digitalization is there to do two things. One, to drive better customer journeys and retention. Secondly, to reduce cost. The third element is colleague and customer focus. That's because we have to have operational excellence to get a return from the assets and the businesses we do. You can only get operational excellence if you've got the right colleagues smiling at customers who want to come back. And the fourth pillar is ancillary businesses, which I'll go through in some detail because we've got nice ancillary businesses. The key message here is we only have businesses outside of franchise dealerships, which actually complement the franchise dealerships. So there's a lot of talk about sustainability and sustainability is defined as the ability to continue over a period of time. And it means a lot more towards the as a business than purely focusing on environmental issues. Actually, making sure our business survives, that we protect shareholder value is absolutely critical. Now, clearly, part of that is to make an efficient use of resources. I would say making efficient use of labour resources is is very important. Increasing productivity, a particular problem in the UK. So we use our software to make sure our colleagues are highly efficient. And we think that's a social good in itself. The environmental aspects, making good use of the earth's resources is important because that enhances a reduction in cost and an increase in profitability and is clearly a social good. So we've got heavy investment in solar panels, 10% of our Energy as a group will be generated internally by August. We've got big investment in LED to make sure we're using less energy. We've got a 5% reduction in electricity and a 25% reduction in gas. We clearly are investing in EV charging capacity to make sure our dealerships can handle electrification. And unsung area, but important, is to minimize landfill and landfill tax. And we have highly re- effective recycling programs across the group to, med- to minimize that cost to us. We take the social element. The bottom line is we sell cars into local communities. If we have a bad reputation as a place to work, then we have a bad reputation with our customers. We support our colleagues in community programs. We do a lot of sports partnerships with football, cricket, rugby, and get involved in local communities effectively through foundations. The other aspect of social is what are we doing to actually make our colleagues thrive in their lives and we think our key part of that is clearly training we take over 200 apprentices but it's more than that it's about creating a meritocratic culture it's providing development programs to go from frontline to supervisor to manager it actually increases gender diversity as it happens in our business but it's to make sure that those that want to learn those that want to work hard who have the right values see success and the rewards and we think having that meritocratic system is just very very important Similarly, on governance, which people can get fixated with sort of minutiae of corporate governance, but it's much wider than that. It's about have you got the right culture and the right values set from the top? It's much easier to run a large group if you've got the right strong values, because the colleagues in the businesses who want those values self-police. And we find that much better than minutiae of bureaucracy. And actually, the integration of Helston, a lot of that is to make sure we've got our controls in place, we've got our systems in place, but also got our culture. There's a lot of work to do there. Obviously, we've had this business for 17, 18 years, a lot of catching up to do. So we've got a lot of training over the summer on what is our culture within the Helston business. So taking our four pillars, clearly growth is dominated by the Helston transaction, which I'll go through but we've grown substantially with Toyota. done a lot of multi-franchising. And it's worth pointing out that our investment in our brands, Bristol Street Motors, is the highest-ranking franchise automotive retail brand for prompted brand awareness in England and Wales, something we are very, very proud of. Digitalisation, I'm going to through two specific examples where we've won there, and I'll cover ancillary businesses. The colleague and customer focus area is crucial, actually, to our delivery of operational excellence. The picture here is of Steve Harvey who we recently gave a 60-year-long service award to, and there was much celebration. He started at 15, he's now 75, and going strong. But we are a business that's very focused on colleagues because the colleagues deliver our customer service, and we've won awards recently with Volvo, Mercedes-Benz, Vauxhall, and Cooper Seat, and we deliver above-average customer experience levels. So Helston, 28-odd sites in the southwest, predominantly... Premium, they have now all been rebranded either Virtue or Bristol Street Motors. They're all on our standard systems of control. I can see the car sales coming in minute by minute down to the customer level. And clearly, that was a big job. It took us three and a half months. We transhipped 40 to 50 people from the rest of the group down to Devon, Cornwall, and Somerset. Uh, there was a, clearly a lot of potential for disruption. I'm delighted with how that went. Uh, there was minimal impact on trading of, of that big effort. Uh, to actually get everything uh, ready for mid-April, which is what we've done. The synergies of 3.2 million we identified, we think we're ahead of schedule on that. There's some interesting areas where we think Helston can actually teach our group. And clearly, in terms of strategy, I think we're going to put more resource into the businesses to sell more cars. Ultimately, that's going to take some time. But we've got plans to enlarge some of the dealerships, particularly Exeter BMW, which is going to go to a much larger operation, and we're going to do a lot of work to actually increase capacity just one example of a transaction we did some time ago and you may remember this we took the brave pill and bought five bmw dealerships and mini dealerships between lockdowns two and three we bought them from another plc they lost six million pounds in 2019 we actually guided at the time of acquisition that we hope to get to earnings neutral by the end of fy23 which we've just closed off I'm pleased to say we generated actual profit of six million. We've got a very strong business here, uh, strong colleague base, strong management, and the way we've improved those businesses we, uh, has been noted clearly by BMW and helped us get consent to buy the Helston businesses. So this transaction actually unlocked the Helston acquisition, and uh, I think we've got a very good story to say on how we've improved those businesses. They're a pleasure to visit. In terms of digitalization, two specific items just to go through. A number of you may have seen Virtue Analytics, which was our used car management system using inbuilt software. We're now replacing that with Virtue Insights, which takes everything to another level. We've now got a single valuation for every car. So the customer gets a part exchange value from the computer, be on web or in the dealership. And when we buy cars, we use that and that's working very well. But we've now got systems to see how our divisional pricing strategies are being adopted by the dealerships. And you can see in the centre, it says fix now. And if you press that button, all the used car stock gets put through pricing strategy in one button, nothing else to do and a massive increase in productivity compared to how you change prices in dealerships. So we're delighted this is getting rolled out and should enhance margin. I presume everyone on the call actually has a car and I presume no one really enjoys going to a dealership to have it serviced. We have introduced the kiosks on the right hand side, which are uh, self service check in. So, when you bring your car in for a service or repair, you can check in at home, you can come into the dealership, you can log into this very, very simply and drop your keys off into a drawer, which opens and away you go. Customers love speed. If you've got a problem with the car, we've now got the time to talk to you about how to fix that problem. Uh, Obviously, you wouldn't use one of these, but 50% of our customers are using them. It enhances colleague satisfaction, customer satisfaction, and we are very pleased with how it's going. In addition, the the machines always ask the same questions. Would you like your wiper blades replaced? Would you like to sell your car? So we're generating increased revenue opportunities from having this across the group. It's in every dealership apart from Helston. Finally, in terms of ancillary businesses, We've grown a number of ancillary businesses here, and we've got some good success stories. Vans Direct was a business we bought for £7 million. It's a van retailer that never actually sees vans. It sold over 3,500 brand new vans in FY23, made 2.8 million, and purchased 1,500 vans from the group, so gave profit to the group in other ways. A fantastic return. Taxi Centre, which was a business dormant during the lockdowns, clearly no one wanted to buy a taxi. We're now delivering over 800, and it makes good money. Of half a million pounds. Ace Parts is a marketplace and web business, and we keep bolting on businesses into it like Wiper blades That's now making 400,000 pounds and is also giving us access to cheap parts as well, which we can use elsewhere in the business. Finally, Virtue Cosmetic Repair is close to 120 vans plus 11 static operations, largely servicing our network for used car preparation. But we think we've got a massive opportunity here. We can almost set up a retail-based business to go to people's houses to do smart repair. And we've got plans to grow the number of vans on. In terms of Exeter, we're building a six-bay static cosmetic repair operation for our 10 retailers to use down in Exeter. It's a separately managed business and is doing particularly well. So if we move to current trading and outlook, we're pleased with March and April. The acquisitions gave us the lift. So our profit was above prior year. We saw like-for-like new vehicle growth and with robust margins. The used car market is resilient. I think consumer confidence is far greater than I thought it was going to be. And our like-for-like gross profits were up. We actually saw volumes back. And that's because last year we pushed volume in April with a 0% event, which we didn't replicate this year, but we saw increased margins. After sales continues exactly as I've described So if we take the outlook, we have belief that our full-year earnings will be in line with the current market expectations. The robust nature of our order banks in new vehicles gives us confidence and it's good margin. We think used car values will remain elevated. There is a tightness in supply, which is going to continue probably for a couple of years at least, which will help with both margin and making sure we don't take stock losses. The vehicle part in after sales will continue to provide us with good hunting grounds. And really, on after sales, we just like more technicians. So we need to develop more strategies to gain more technicians. Whether that dilutes margin, we'll see, but we'll end up with more overall profit. The cost pressures are clearly evident and we need strategies which we've got to become more productive and to become more efficient. We've probably integrated Helston smoother than I was envisaging uh, I think we're in a good place on Helston, which probably means we can give more thought to growth. Uh, We have just taken the lease of a former Kazoo dealership in Tamworth, which will open as a used car operation 1st of July. And we have a number of other acquisitions in Pipeline. Clearly, growth is important to us, but also is the capital allocation elements Karen referred to of share buybacks and growing the dividend. And a 26% growth in dividend shows the confidence that the board has. And clearly, that is a benefit of the Helston acquisition in terms of the earners' enhancement that we got from that transaction. So, in summary, we are a strong group financially. We have the firepower to further expand. I think we've got the capacity management wise to expand. That's going to give us economies of scale because marketing and IT come together nicely. The digitalization strategy is adding value. Fundamentally, our operational excellence is driven by having the right, talented, motivated colleagues. That's very, very important to us. So we'll continue to invest heavily into management development and overall training. So we think we've got a lot of change uh, in the business and in the industry, but we are certainly looking at this as an opportunity rather than a negative. Thank you very much, Tamsi.
0: First question, a lot of the cost rise was headcount increases in 2022 of 9.1 million. Will this year reflect a similar level of new joiners or is the group currently fully staffed? Can I say that one? Yeah.
2: Uh, no, we're not fully staffed. Uh, we typically run with about 5% vacancy level and that's been ro- broadly historic levels. Um, so we've currently got about 300 vacancies. Uh, we would always like some more technicians. Um, We have closed the gap on technicians, which was a problem at the end of last year. So we have reduced it down from the high levels of about 500 vacancies we saw. So we won't replicate the pay rise increase again for headcount. Um, But there's clearly some more gaps to fill um, and we won't obviously replicate starting a concierge business and investing digital yeah i think
1: i would say i mean the vacancies i prefer to have the people than the vacancies so yes we would make a cost saving but we have business plan this business based on where we think this business should be and i would generate more profit if i had those people in the business helston we believe is there's very much an opportunity to grow gross profit by having more people in helston um so i don't think we're looking at large increases in software development, et cetera, et cetera. I think we've got the right level of resource uh, at the centre. But in terms of the dealerships, there is scope for increased profit by having more people.
0: And how long is it taking the group to deliver new cars? Are there big variations between manufacturers?
1: Uh, yes. Yeah. And there's big variations in models. And I do get emails saying, I I ordered this car from X 18 months ago and no one can tell me when it's coming and we've had quite a lot of that and it's taken up quite a lot of time. We continually uh, having to phone customers up to tell them not a lot. Um, I think it is resolving itself. I think the uh, production and logistics is starting to unwind. So I think we're seeing less of that. But actually, there is a nice sweet spot, isn't there, where there's a natural tightness in new car and delivery times. But I think 18 months, two years is on, a, on some volume cars is it, just too long.
0: And do you see further opportunities to pick up sites from would-be disruptors that have been less successful than they hoped?
1: Uh, Thank you very much for that question. It's a beautiful question. Uh, No, I don't, because I think uh, they have pretty well now uh, set out their stall and the traditional retailers, if we can be called traditional retailers, have pretty well stepped in and taken them. Would I have liked more? Yes. Um, But it was a nice opportunity because they had some nice premises. uh, But I don't think that's going to be a a rich vein of further growth.
0: And you now have excellent penetration into both traditional volume and quality OEMs. Will your priority... I would would
1: question that question. I wouldn't say that traditional OEMs aren't quality.
0: (laughs) Um, Will your priority be to leverage this further or to work with the various new entrants from China and elsewhere?
1: Uh, no, we will not be working with new entrants from China in the short term, uh, which is a bold statement. Uh, but there is no great financial benefit from operating dealerships where there is no after sales because after sales is high margin. So we don't think there will be a great move by us into that space in the short term. Medium term, I think we continue to assess it. MG is a different uh, Investment proposition: We have a number of MG dealerships. We'll have another one opening in uh, in the in the summer. But there is a vehicle part with MG, and actually MG will deliver eighty thousand vehicles in the United Kingdom this year. This is this is not a small new entrant by any means. But I think trying to pick winners uh, where the brands aren't known, there might not be a lot of brand expenditure. Uh, I don't think it's really for us at the moment. I think we've got the largest array of manufacturers. Of any retailer in the United Kingdom. And to be honest with you, we've got significant growth opportunities with them, which is, I think, a far less risky uh, opportunity than trying to pick winners where there's no after sales.
0: And when do you think the secondhand car values will start to decline as new car volumes work their way through the market?
1: Well, they should decline. I mean, logic says if you use something, it should go down in value, not up. So we're in a quite a unique position. We are starting to see some very, very modest declines in some months, which is more like normal and not something to worry about. Uh, the thing I don't like about used car declines is when you get four to five percent drops in a month, that's fairly hard to manage. Um, I would envisage we're some way away from normalisation on used cars. And actually, we may never get to normalisation on used cars because if the manufacturers are true to their word, and actually the agency model actually helps this, where they don't want oversupply because it just cuts their margins and makes life very difficult for them, then actually there could be a long-run tightness in used vehicles, um, which actually will be very beneficial to everybody. So I think... I don't know, two years, and we'll start to see, you know, monthly book drops, but I suspect they'll be quite manageable. I think we've got tightness for quite a long time, to us. Um,
0: and Can you clarify who owns the debt on vehicles in an agency model? Will the OEM essentially own the car all the way through and distribute through the channels and take a revenue split, or does it work more like it does now, and how is that?
1: It's exactly the same as today in an agency model. So, broadly we have the, the the vehicle is we buy it or we'll pay for it tend to, we tend to pay for it when we actually sell it um sometimes there's some quirks where we have fully paid new cars but that tends to be tactical activity actually where we actually decide to go and buy some at, at a discount um the agency model is not a massive change the only the, one of the major changes is at the moment we get a pipeline and at some point we start paying interest on unsold that probably disappears with agency. I uh, I think that's probably right in saying. So it'll all balance off. Um, we'll probably end up with less new fully paid because we won't be buying new vehicles. Uh, so there will be a benefit from a capital perspective, but I, I think you can get awfully excited by agency. But If you actually look at it, there are different types of agency which complicates the picture, but uh, there's a lot more commonality of what we do today than than change actually.
0: Given the big discount to tangible book value that the shares currently trade on, wouldn't earnings and shareholder value be enhanced by directing further capital towards share buybacks rather than pursuing acquisitions at a significant premium to tangible book value such as Helston was?
1: It's an old question. So our view as a board is as follows, that to survive in the long run and to be sustainable, as a uk automotive retailer we need scale and there are opportunities to buy businesses which generate a return in excess of our weighted average cost of capital and that is what businesses do they invest in businesses that generate a return in excess of weighted average cost of capital if we deployed all our capital in buying our shares back i mean we wouldn't be able to buy them back at 60 pence if we started lobbying millions and millions of pounds in. We'd end up not in the position that the, the the questioner just postulated, actually. So we think there's a role for share buybacks, but our business has to be based, we believe, on growth. And if we start getting smaller and not expanding, we'll become broadly irrelevant, not part of the manufacturer's representation plans, and not successful. So I think it's the interaction routine, the operational imperatives of generating value and the financial engineering aspects of share buybacks. I don't subscribe to the view that we should get smaller, irrelevant, and ultimately not successful by pursuing a sole strategy of of share buybacks. That's not what our board believes.
0: And you've just announced three million share buyback as you did at half one, but last time no shares were bought for understandable reasons. Can you confirm whether you're actually in a position to buy back shares this time?
1: We are in a position to buy back shares. We are clearly constrained by stock exchange rules on the number of shares we can buy back each day and the price we can pay. It is our intention to abide by those rules and to buy shares back as we see appropriate.
0: And another question on the same theme, why increase the Divi so much, which comes with an expectation of future dividends, rather than direct more to share buybacks?
1: We have an expectation of future dividends because we have an expectation of being in business in the future.
0: And how long do you need to digest Helston before you could consider another similarly large acquisition?
1: That's a good question. Um, uh, before I consider something of that size, I would want to see the rest of this financial year out.
0: A senior manager from Cambria said at the turn of the year that there would be no listed dealers by the end of the year. Could you comment on whether you see yourselves as a potential consolidator? Also, what do you think of the potential for private equity to venture into this business space?
1: Yeah, uh, the potential for private equity to venture in this space, exceedingly rare and limited, in my opinion. Not many examples, quite hard. Um, And we definitely see ourselves as a consolidator until we're not.
0: I note the reduction in your Jaguar sites due to JLR strategy and that Ford have declared that they'll reduce the number of dealers. Do you foresee that other manufacturers will follow which will incur further provisions as per the JLR Jaguar dealership loss?
1: Oh, well, it's difficult to predict the future. All I can say, the general direction of travel is as follows. Uh, There will be a gradual decline in the number of dealerships in the UK, as there has been for the past 20 years. The data will be strange because you'll have the Chinese entrance multi-franchising at the same time, so it'll be very difficult to see. But gradually, there will be a decline um, of smaller rural outlets, probably. Um, In terms of manufacturer strategies, clearly we, we want to actually understand those strategies. The manufacturers want slightly less points. Actually, in the case of Ford, a significant number of less points, actually. Uh, we will end up in the vast majority of cases with more outlets because what the, the primary thing they want is less partners. So what they say is, I want less partners, which means you've got to have more, which is good for us. So I, I mean, I can never rule out Goodwill impairments. I mean, I, I would never do that. But at the moment, we would see ourselves as net beneficiaries of network development changes rather than uh, net losers.
0: How much of the 2023 profit before tax is from Helston? And could this be reasonably extrapolated for a 2024 number?
2: I hope we can't reasonably extrapolate it because the answer is zero for 2023 because of the timing of the acquisition in December. Um, So the analysts have got FY24 numbers in for Helston of approximately 12 to 13 million of adjusted PBT. But from that, you have to deduct the cost of borrowing that the group incurred to acquire it. It's about 6.6 million.
0: And given the margins in repair, why couldn't you make a go of Newcastle?
1: Oh, in accident repair? Oh, it's all about work provider. Uh, There were two fundamental operational issues. One, we could never recruit the right number of productives, actually. That was always a challenge. And the cost base was high relative to the revenues. And therefore, if we didn't have the right number of producers, it was a challenge. And actually, our work re- our recovery rate per hour uh, was significantly less than our other accident repair centres because of the work mix providers. And that, therefore, that created a strategic problem that we took action and, and sold the business.
0: You listed out the profit before tax for three of the four ancillary businesses. Why not the fourth?
2: That's Virtue Cosmetic Repair, which largely serves our dealership network and broadly runs break even.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a complicated one. Actually, to be honest, it it generates a lot of profit, but we tend to put that profit back into the dealerships by discounting the rate at which which we provide that service. If you put it at a market rate, it would make in excess of a million pounds.
0: And that's the end of questions. Robert, do you have any closing remarks?
1: No, I'd like to thank all our private investors who've invested for staying with us. Uh, We have some interesting debates on Twitter, Um, but you are an important component of our shareholder base. And, you know, we actually know that for a lot of private investors, dividends are important. So that's why we seek to balance dividends and share buybacks. Um, So I'd just like to thank everybody for their uh, investing and also for coming on this and spending time with us today.